Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. Our, our Father, God, how, how can I honestly pray our Father when I've never had a father? Lord, you know my story. My father was taken from me when I was only two weeks old. I'm married now, God. Everything I thought I needed a father for has passed. I taught myself how to change the oil on my first car. But I'm not even upset anymore. But God, I need you. Lord, I need you to teach me how to know you as my heavenly father. We need to learn, church, what it means to see God as our heavenly father. Our Father who's in heaven, who's high and lifted up, because I want to tell you, this world has given us a different image. And there are people that are walking through this life, and we may think that we understand what it means to pray. You may think that because you have recited or memorized our Father in heaven and said it thousands of times, that therefore you know what it means. I want to tell you something today. Those words, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name or thy name, that will be repeated literally millions of times today. And so many, the words are cold. They don't even understand what they mean anymore. And I'm so thankful that we have a God who loved us so much that he sent his son not just to die on a cross for us, but to teach us how to live our lives differently today. He did not come just to secure our eternal future. He came to give us a different life and a changed life today. And because of that, he instructed on what it meant to live in his kingdom, under his rule and under his reign. And as Jesus was addressing his followers, he taught them this. This is how you pray. And so as we start a brand new year, a fresh year in 2016, I want us to learn together from the Lord how we are called to pray as his followers. Because we may think that we know it just because we know the words. But I'm praying that what we know here would soon translate here. Come on, someone. And God would do something deep in our hearts and lives. He began it this morning. And I believe he's going to lead us forward from here. So if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. We're going to be in Matthew, chapter 6. And it's these familiar words that Jesus brings to those that are his followers, those that would call upon his name. Some that had given up their whole lives to follow after him. And Jesus begins to instruct them on how to pray and how not to pray and how they should live and how they shouldn't live. 
And this prayer is so much more than a series of words. It is actually a model for how the followers of Jesus are meant to pray and how we are meant to prioritize our lives as a response to God's love. So we're going to take a journey here through this prayer over the next five weeks. And each week we're going to focus in on one portion of that prayer and really understand how we can live it out and how that can change the way that we live our lives today, tomorrow, and in the future. And so let's look together at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 9. And Jesus said this, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You don't have to get too far into this prayer to begin to realize that we don't necessarily, as, as a culture and as a world, have a clear picture of what we mean and what God means whenever we say these very words. Our Father who is in heaven. You don't have to go two words into this prayer and already miss the boat. Our Father who is in heaven. To understand what it means to have a father. Paul got up here and he shared with you and that wasn't um, a skit or just someone getting up and acting and rehearsing some lines. You know what Paul came and did today before you, church? He came and he opened up his life. Paul, who's been a part of leading our young adults ministry, I've had the the joy of walking with him for, for some years as God's been growing in his life and that's a part of Paul's story. Two weeks into his life, his father was murdered. His life was taken. Paul's grown up trying to understand this in light of his reality. And I had a very similar misunderstanding about who my heavenly father was. And you know what? It was all based on my earthly father. And I don't know what your reality is today. I don't know what you've walked through and where you've been. But if I look at the statistics, here's what they say. One out of every two marriages are ending in divorce. In every home that's represented in one of those is a broken home. And that brokenness, it affects the way that we see, the way that we perceive, the way that we understand. Outside of that, we see things that will happen. There is a a fatherless generation that has been rising up. And that generation doesn't understand what it means to have a father. Or their picture of a father is dysfunctional. And you know what happens when we carry over into our faith and we hear about a father who's in heaven? You know what we naturally do? I know you'd say, well, I don't don't do that. Like, I'm not really trying to do that. Subconsciously, you're doing that. We apply so many of those those ideas and we see it through that lens. Well, well, God, you're my father. This is the picture of what a father is. This is the, the picture of the world that they're painting for what it means to have a father. I don't know your story, but I'm sure in a room this size, there's some that have grown up without a father figure. There's some that you grew up and you had to take care of all those things on your own, and now you've come to faith in Jesus, and you're trying to work out this life in Christ, and you're beginning to realize that that maybe you're not trusting God as much as you should be trusting your Heavenly Father, because here you you didn't have the opportunity to trust anyone else. You had to trust numero uno. Come on, someone, right? You have to trust yourself. And therefore, you have a God in heaven who says, you don't carry that yoke. You don't carry that burden anymore. I love you. And I'll carry that 
walk with me, trust me, and say, I haven't learned to trust anyone but myself. So you get two words into this prayer and you've already missed the boat. You get just right into it and you, and you, and you realize, God, do I even know, do I even understand what I mean when I say our Father in heaven? Think about the first word itself, our. Do we understand at times in the world that we live today, we have taken things and we make it so individually centered and, and, and we think it's all about just the person. And you know what? We, we share that a lot. And we say, listen, Jesus, he loved you. He died on the cross for you. And yes, that is true. But the Bible also says God loved the world. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And in that thinking at times, it can become very self-centered. And we can miss the fact that we go to prayer and we say, our Father in heaven. And we will learn as we continue to unpackage this passage of Scripture that even when we go away to pray on our own, Jesus said, still pray our Father in heaven. To be reminded that, you know what, you're a part of something bigger than yourself. You're not out here all by yourself. But that relationship with God is meant to be a part of a body, a group of believers, the body of Christ. And in the same way that your body is made up of many different parts, the church is likened to a body, of, a body of believers and we're like a body connected together, each part. God has a purpose for your life. Did you know that? Come on, someone, did you, did you know that? He has a purpose for your life. Some of you don't believe it, but it's true. It doesn't make it any less true. He has a way he desires for you to function and live in this world and in this life. And the first thing you have to do is get connected to him and get connected to the body so that we can say together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's a picture of Father that was painted in the time that Jesus was speaking to his people, but 2,000 years has done a lot. And it's done a lot of damage to distort the, the idea of a father. And for some of you, this may not be some of your story. You may say, you know what, I have an amazing, amazing example and I praise God for that. Will someone celebrate with me? Uh, the men who are, are living that godly life before the Lord. Um, I'm praying for you men as you're here and you're hearing this. You have children. Be that example. Be everything you can to reflect it so that when they look at you, they can see the love of God in you. But others, that's not quite your story. It's one of dysfunction. It's one where, where you've been walking through some difficulties. You've been doing it a lot on your own trying to figure things out. Jesus wants to come and teach us how we're called to pray, how we're called to reach out to a God who loves us and who's so kind towards us and desires to meet us right where we are, to understand what it means to have God as our heavenly Father. So you'll look with me at Matthew chapter six and if we just go a few verses back, Jesus is teaching about the subject of prayer. And I want you to notice how many times the word Father is used in some of these very specific instructions about the way we're called to approach our Heavenly Father. Here's what it says, verse five. When you pray, well, let's stop there for a second. Um, did you notice it said when you pray and not if you pray? Did you notice that? Some of you are like, wow, God's word is becoming alive today. It is, it is sharp, I feel it. It's sharp. When you pray. You know what that means? It, it, Jesus understood even from that time that, that the, a prayer life for a believer, a follower of Jesus, 
what, what was essential. It wasn't, it wasn't optional. It's not optional. In the same way that communication between you and your spouse, it's not optional. Someone needs to wake up in 2006 and realize you communicating with your spouse and with your family, that's not optional, right? You're not meant to be ships passing in the night. How, how, how would the health of your relationships be if you never communicated with the person, if you never spent time together? It would be very, very, very different. And it can be very unhealthy, very malnourished. He says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. And a hypocrite is someone that says one thing and lives a different way. And he says, this is a picture of a hypocrite, someone who loves to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. And I tell you that they're receiving their reward in full when they do that. The people that are going to get up and they're going to make a big deal about praying and seeking God only when they have eyes fixed on them, the reward that they've received, whatever reward they think they're getting from that, whatever it is, um, some claps, some awe, some wow, they look like they're really good, that's it. That's their reward in full. They've received it. And so if we're doing it for the, for the opinions and the praise of man, guess what? That's like cents on the dollar, number one. It's not really any reward. You're big in someone's eyes, but guess what? There's only one set of eyes that we really should care about, where we stand and how we look and, and how that is. But he also talks about this superficial way that that can really be a detriment to our lives. That the only time we're praying is when we're in front of other people, we're missing it. We're missing what it means to have relationship with God. Jesus did not die so that you could come to a building once a week and sing and pray and worship and then leave and go on living your life and then come back. And If that is what we needed, then guess what? The temple system, the offering system of the Old Testament could have worked just fine. We would not need someone to come and die for our sins and if we could just come together, try to get right with God, leave again. That's an old way of thinking. Jesus came, and when he died on the cross, something powerful happened. It says there's a veil that is in the temple that separates the outer courts from the inner and then to the Holy of Holies, and it was a place that was thick. And it was a place that only a high priest could go once a year, and he could never go there without an offering, without blood, without a way of, of making atonement for the sins of people. He could only go there once because the presence of God was there, so powerful that, that there are stories about high priests that fell dead in the presence of God because it was so overwhelming or their heart wasn't right. Like, that's the picture, okay? Coming to an, to a, to a, some, that sounds scary. To, I don't know. If you, if you thought today that if you walked in here, hey, something wasn't right, you might fall dead before, before forever rain is done, before that first song is over, that, that could cause some anxiety. And there they are, standing. And when Jesus died on the cross, it says the veil was torn in two. And you know what that symbolized and showed? That the presence of God would not be confined inside of a, a physical building anymore. That just as Jesus promised, and just as God's word declared centuries earlier, that his spirit would now fill our hearts and our lives. And we would be changed. We would be different. We would become those that would stand in the presence of God would dwell among us. Wherever we go, if we would go out in the front, yard, front lawn right now, or if we go to a fire hall, or if we go stand there, guess what? The presence of God is with us, in us, working through us. That's something that we know that when we leave here, the Lord is with us. 
And therefore, that relationship should be continuing. That prayer time should be continuing to happen. It should be something that you put at the very top of your priority list in 2016. We spend so much time worrying about how we're going to get our lives better and work all these things out. We have all the resolutions, all the goals, all the things that we're wanting to do. But where does prayer fall in that list for you? Because I want to tell you something, just as Pastor Marsha alluded to in our announcement time, that the more time we spend praying, the less time we need to be worrying about all the things we are praying about. And before long, you will start to find out that you're not praying to get stuff, you're just praying to pray, and you're getting into that right relationship with God. So he says, when you pray, don't go out and stand on the street corner and, and, and do it in front of people, and only do it whenever people can see you. But instead, when you're praying, you go into your inner room, close the door in your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret, he's going to reward you. God calls us to those private places of prayer, to set aside time to pray and seek him. In this inner room, some would call it a prayer closet, but um, because of the movie that you're going to see on Saturday, it has a different name uh, there, and it's called The War Room in that movie. So sorry, I give you a spoiler alert there. It won't ruin the movie. The movie's about prayer and about how prayer changes lives, and it talks about how to pray and how we should pray. So the war room is, is likened to a prayer closet, and that prayer closet is a place where that person can go and just get away from everything else and press into God and seek him and, and come, um, come into just deeper relationship, and it shows the power of just getting away and seeking God. I, I felt that for myself. When I was in college, um, our apartment in our college had this huge closet bigger than what we would have needed. So we put our clothes on the top and I stuck a beanbag and a lamp and my roommate and I, we made that into just a, an area that we would pray, we would have our, a journal there, a Bible there, and we would just be able to spend time with the Lord. I mean, I, I, I love that. And when I watch the movie, I'm laughing with my wife because I don't have a house like the house in that movie, if anyone's seen it. Uh, like, they're like cleaning out, they have like five closets in their bedroom. I'm like, that's nice. You can make one of them a prayer closet. One of them can be a pantry for some snacks if you get hungry. Yeah, a washer and dryer and the other one, a balcony. It's like, I was like, okay, they, they should have maybe, you know, made something a little more practical for us. I'm looking at our, our little linen closet that's three feet by two feet. And I'm like, Mandy, can we, maybe we could both get in there somehow and... That's, yeah, that's, that's my life, right? <clears throat> getting away, getting, get, getting, setting time aside. So even if you had the space, and some of you might have the space, how often is that space occupied? Let's be real. How many of you, your prayer life is really nothing more than the things you're rattling off before you go into meetings while you're sitting in the drive-thru at McDonald's, while you're standing in line at Starbucks, and you're, you know, you're, your prayer is like, Lord, don't let any of these calories affect me right now. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, you know, I got... Or help me get through this. Or, you know, just crying out these desperate prayers to God. And then you're saying, I'm living up to God's word. Pray without ceasing. That's me praying without ceasing. No. No. You know, I, I read this and, and, I, and I think this, this idea, I think, Jesus, you didn't live in Jersey when you told everyone how to. You don't understand Jersey and quick, fast-paced, northeast culture. You don't get it, Lord. Yeah, sure, it's nice when there's sheeps out in the field and all these things. Like, yeah, like, it just feels like everything's so easy. I'm just going to go sit by the olive tree. And it's like, wait, that isn't our lives, right? Some of you are working in Manhattan. You're like, like, the pace is like this. You close your eyes to pray. You missed your cab or your train or you're, you're done, you know? But we, don't get, we need to get away and pray, making it a priority, making it something that is vitally important. Same way that we would realize, man, I got to take time to eat. I got to take time 
to breathe. <laughs> I gotta take time to make sure I fill my life, with, with my, my body with fluids and the things that would be needed to sustain me. Do you realize the life-sustaining power of prayer? If we spent a quarter of the time praying that we spend worrying about so many things, do you know how different your life would be? If you spent half the time praying that you're currently worrying about whatever it is you're trying to manage in your own strength, do you know how different your life would be? If you spent all the time you spent worrying, praying, you'd be walking on water out of here. Puddles would be there. You'd, just be, you'd, be, you'd be in a different place, I'm telling you. Maybe, maybe your feet would get wet, but you'd feel different. You know why? Because each time we trust the Lord, we take the weights and the things that we're carrying and we place them in his hands. Because a father in that culture was one that was meant to be relied upon for everything. Children who were able to be fully reliant upon their heavenly father. There was not all these broken images like we see in the world around us today. Whenever I hear the words father in the world that we live in today, you can see so many pictures of what that is. It could be, okay, so a father, someone that's not dependable, someone that's too busy uh, doing all their work and tending to all their affairs doesn't really have time for me, shows up every now and again. Is that what God's like? Is he a far off, distant? I mean, he'll make some time, but, but not always. I mean, I know that he could just be too busy for me. If I call out to him, it, I have to call out at the right times, or you know, he, he may have other things that, that are occupying him. We think of a father, a father whose love and acceptance and approval we're always trying to get and never quite have. It's never good enough. It's never where it needs to be. And, 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 and we can just sense like, man, God, you're so holy. You're so big. You're so mighty. And like, and I don't, I don't think I'll ever be good enough for you. I wasn't good enough for, for my father. That's why I don't have that relationship. I, you, know, you, you get it, church, how so easily we translate those things into our lives. And it comes right into our faith at times. So we look to our father in heaven, and we see the pictures of Father we have in here, and people looking to earn that love. We hear the words unconditional love, love that meets us right where we are, a love that can see past our faults, and we may get it, but, but everything that this world has to offer that would even come close is absolutely conditional. It may give you the warm and fuzzy feeling, but it will deplete your life away from you. It will rob your joy. It will steal and kill and destroy you. That sounds like someone I read about in the Bible. That love will just, will rip you apart and it will choke out your life. I heard a powerful story about um, a, a, a gang member of all people, and we actually had someone that attended here for a while, and God used him mightily in missions and in different areas, and he came out of a gang in Plainfield, and God saved him and changed his life, and um, he was a leader with our young adults, and God did some tremendous things and still doing things through his life. But I was hearing another pastor talk about that, and he said this guy came out of a gang life, and he was there, and if you understand people that will find that, normally maybe there isn't a father figure, there isn't love and acceptance, and so they're looking, and they find it in these places where there's a group of people who could see past all those faults, love them as they are, and accept them in and be stronger than family. And some of you grew up, you don't have to be in a gang, but you had a tight-knit group of friends, and you weren't doing things that were right or honoring God, but you kind of were, were tighter, right, thicker than thieves, and you were just, you were in, and you were all on that journey. You were all there. You had that sense of just connection. 
And they, they, they knew more about you than anyone knew about you and they didn't hold it against you and there was all that. And so that's what happens at times in a, in, 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 in a gang life. And so this person's in that and experiencing that and that's a counterfeit. I want you to know it's a counterfeit love. You say, how is that love? It is a love. It's absolutely, it's a deep, deep, deep sense of love but it's absolutely conditional. You will receive all those benefits as long as you do whatever it is that that group has decided is what we will do. And then what you will ultimately end up doing is just compromising yourself over and over and over again to keep receiving that acceptance and that love. That's absolutely counterfeit and broken, but it's there and it's what the world has to offer. This man comes out of that counterfeit love and he comes to a church service and he hears the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he's loved by a heavenly father who isn't like anyone else, who loves him, who lavishes his love, that he could become a child of God, that he could be a part of God's house and God's body and God's family. And he, he's hearing it. And you know what he's seeing in a moment? He's seeing the counterfeit held up with the authentic. And it changed him. And he accepted Jesus. And he, and he, he had this transformative moment in God's presence. And he said, I'm done with all that. I'm gone. Some months went by and they didn't see him anymore in church. So someone from the church went to him and, and said, what's going on? Why are you back in the streets? Why are you hanging out with these same people again? He said, you know what? I heard, I heard the good news. I heard it. <laughs> I heard about this God. I heard it. But when I was in the church, it seemed like we were talking about it, but we weren't living it. And I've lived a version of it. And believe me, what you're talking about wasn't what I was seeing. I didn't feel that love. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel Whatever love you were describing God had for me, I didn't feel it through anyone that was around me. And when I come back to these guys, they accept me as I am. They hold me. I know it's not the things I should be doing, but at least, at least I feel that sense of love and acceptance. I want you to know something, that people are hungering and thirsting for something to fill, that which only God can fill. Whatever void has been placed and left in your life, you're chasing after something to gain that acceptance, to gain that approval, to gain that right place. And for some, you've been working so hard, looking for love and finding whatever condition you will, you will give to find it. And I'm gonna tell you, there are people, young people, you are compromising your purity, you're compromising your life, you're entering into sexual sin. You know why? Because someone has painted a picture that if you do this, then you can receive my love, my acceptance. You have all these feelings, but guess what? It's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. And whatever it is you think you're feeling, that once those conditions are gone and changed, you're going to feel very broken. Some of you have already felt very broken because you've walked that journey. And it only creates a bigger chasm, a bigger hole, and you walk into more and more compromise. It's not a road that you need to travel. And so when you turn and you lift your voice and you say, Our Father in heaven... You look to a father who you do not have to work to receive his approval or his love. His love is unconditional. You know what that means? It means that he loves you for who you are as you are. He loved you before you loved him back. He loved you before you knew him or knew about his love. He loved you with an unfathomable love, the one you could not even comprehend. He loved you that way. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That's just this nice talk. That's the truth and the reality of the gospel that changes us and saves us. He loves you. And that love is not based upon any kind of condition at all. And I realized that. I realized more about what unconditional love is because my daughter was born into the world on St. Patrick's Day. 
2014, the day that changed our life. And you know what I realized? That the moment she was born, I did not print out a list and say, okay, as soon as she can go through these four or five things, then she'll earn my love. I loved her instantly. I love her before she could ever love me back. I love her not because of what she's done, but because of who she is. And I want you to know something today, that that is a picture of God's love for you. He doesn't love you because of your loveliness. He doesn't love you because of what you've done or what you haven't done. He doesn't love you because of your righteousness. He loves you because he's created you and he has a plan for you and you're his child and he loves you today right where you are. And for some, you just need to step back and just say and believe it. You need to finally believe it in 2016 that he loves you, not because of who you're pretending to be, not as you should be or you ought to be because of who you are. You're his son, you're his daughter. Some of you, you're wayward, you're running away from him. You feel like you're sitting in the pit with the slop and you wonder if you could ever make anything. He loves you right where you're at. But he loves you so much, he's not gonna let you stay there if you turn to him. He loves you so much, he's not gonna let you wallow in the filth anymore. Just like a loving father, we can get a picture of a loving father, one that's so generous that he gives us anything we want. A real loving father doesn't just give you what you want, he gives you what you need. And sometimes what you need is discipline. Sometimes what you need hurts. But what he says, what God's word says to us in Hebrews is that he disciplines everyone he he receives as a son. He disciplines his children out of his love. He doesn't abuse his children, he disciplines his children out of love. So many of us, we've been working for approval. It's, it's what the world shows us we need. But our Heavenly Father, who's in heaven, says you don't have to worry about all those things. You don't have to be consumed with all those things. In fact, in verse 7 of chapter 6, it says, when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, because they think that they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Have you ever thought about that? That you have a father in heaven who knows what you need before you even ask him. How many of you spend time making sure you've remembered every single request and everything there to only go before God and realize truly that your heavenly father, he knows what you need before you even come to him. Then why am I, why am I spending so much time focusing on all my needs and all my wants and all... That's a very good question. Why are you spending so much time worrying about those things? That isn't what Jesus taught us to do. He didn't say, hey, say, hey, daddy in heaven, give me all this stuff. Here's all the things I'm worried about. Jesus didn't give us that kind of prescription for how we approach our heavenly father in prayer. It's not a transaction. Instead, we come to him. We say, our father in heaven. And when we say those words, we understand the reality of who we're talking to. Remember, you ever heard someone say, hey, do you know who you're talking to? Like, think of that when you pray. Do I know who I'm talking to right now? Is he a God that needs to be reminded? Is he a God that needs to be impressed or, or somehow coerced into meeting my needs? Do I need to talk him into showing up in my life and dealing with the situations? Does he need that? Is he a forgetful God? Some of us, we get an idea that we have a God who is so far off, so disconnected from our lives. A God who is far off and needs convincing with our eloquence, with our words, with our shouts, with whatever we bring that we need to convince him to show up 
And that's the broken upside down picture that many of us have been operating in. Instead, it's quite the opposite. We have a, a father, not some distant deity. So many people, there's so many other religions that pray and they do all these things and they cry out and, and for many, they're just calling out into a void of nothing, hoping that someone will hear and respond. Hoping, hoping that there's someone out there that's listening to them. When we have a father who is near to his children, he's so near to us that he took on flesh and blood. Jesus came, you know, his name was Emmanuel, God with us. God reminds us he hasn't, he hasn't forsaken us, he hasn't left us. His silence is not his absence in your situation. And so we have this God who's, who's so big, who's so loving, who's out there. And we can so often come to him like we need to earn that love, we need to, to receive it and, and, and put ourselves in that right place before him. And he said, no, that isn't, that isn't it. My son has paid that price for you. You know, I've heard this, this uh, story that just was in the news about five or six months ago, and I've never heard it up until this week. And um, online, there's so many things you can buy, so many things that you can do, and there are different websites that have been set up to buy things, sell things. Uh, one of them that's used in different communities is called Craigslist. And um, you'll normally see that there are things that are there. You can go there to find a job, post a job ad, if you want someone to paint your house or walk your dog or all, all kinds of things. But there was one ad about six months ago in Colorado that just was so different than anything anyone had ever seen. It was written by a girl named Natalie Carson. Here's a picture of Natalie. It was so unusual to read it because the title said, "Rent, looking to rent a family for a day. Looking to rent a family for a day. And you go on to read Natalie's post and she begins to write and she said, I'm looking to rent a family for a day. I've been transitioned out of the foster care system and I'm gonna be turning 20 years old and I've never had a good birthday in my life. And she said, and so um, I just wanna have that sense of family for one day. So my parents were very abusive to me so that is not an option. She said, I'm not looking for gifts. You wouldn't have to give me anything, but just make me feel special for that one day. And, and, and here, here's what she writes. I just want one day that I could feel important and special, like I matter, even if I really don't. She says, you don't, you don't have to give me a gift. In fact, I'll be willing to pay anyone $8 an hour for that day to spend with me. Pretend that you love me and be my family tell you the overwhelming responses she got. And I'm so glad some of those responses were from the people of God to say, you have a father that loves you. You have a God that loves you and we love you and we're here for you. And, we, and people were trying to find her address and send her gifts and inviting her to come and stay with their family for months and what a picture. But I want to tell you, that's someone that posted it and put it out there. There's so many of us, we're walking around every day and we would never tell the world, but that's really how we're thinking and living. I just wanna know deep down, I don't really believe it, that I'm loved and I'm accepted as I am. And I want you to know something today. The love of the Father is here and he wants to change 2016 for you. He wants you to know his love today. He wants that love to change the way you live your life. And he doesn't want you to take a picture from this world of conditional love, but he wants you to see him as your heavenly father. 
and allow your life to be shaped as a result of his great love. Because we are no longer slaves. Slaves think like that. How can I please my master? How can I, how, how, how can I earn his love? How can I earn his favor? How can I have those things? That's how a slave, a hired hand would think about it. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says this, we don't have the spirit of a slave or slavery. That leads to fear again. You and I, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons in which we cry out, Abba, Father. Know that you being able to say, Abba, Father, is calling out to a God who hears you and who loves you and you're crying out to your heavenly Father. I want to tell you, there are so many things that can happen inside of this sanctuary on a Sunday, and I think that I do pretty well rolling with the punches. A cell phone can go off, a baby can cry. Please don't test me to see where my threshold is for any of this. But I, but I, I can flow, and I can keep in my train of thought and just continue to be reflecting on how the word will come forward. But I have learned something, and I had to tell my wife, Lily cannot be in the sanctuary. She can't be. On Christmas Eve, she was in the sanctuary. We had a full house, and I'm preaching, and I start hearing, Dad! Or just her giggling or her laughing. And I'm just like, what, what's going on? What's going on, Lily? How are you? Like, I just, I just like, as soon as she cries out, I'm, I'm just there. I, I can't concentrate anymore because I just want to know what's going on. And, and, I, and I just really believe that that isn't just me. I believe as you as a parent, you get that, right? Your kid cries out. It's like nothing else. Your kid cries. Your kid has a need. Like, they're, they're just, their voice, like, it, it, it has a place in my mind that I can't quite concentrate when I hear it. And I take that, and I think if I have the capacity in my, my limited life, like who I am, that I have that capacity to have that kind of love or attention or turning, how much more do you think our Father in Heaven feels about us? How much more? We oh, but Father, it's like, He's there. He's there. He's right there. Just getting this, church, and I know I'm just drilling it, just getting this will change everything about the way that you pray, about the way that you trust Him about the way that you let go of things that you've been carrying and trying to do in your own strength and power for all too long. And the second half of this prayer is how we are called to now live as a result of that. And so before we go and we ask him, Heavenly Father, here's my list of needs and wants and desires. The number one thing that is placed there is this, hallowed be your name. You say, what, is that? what does that mean? That literally means Hallowed be your name means to honor as holy. Honor your name. May your name be honored above everything else. May your name be lifted up, high and lifted up. The prayer starts with more concern for God and his honor and his glory than for any of our needs. Are your prayers starting that way? Is the way that you're approaching God, is it more concerned with his name being lifted up. I, I liken it like a small child that when you're growing up, do you remember your parents were superstars? Some of you, your dad was a hero. And it was like, there's nothing he can't do, right? He could pick up a house or a car or, all, you know, just like he could do everything and you just are in awe of that. And now you're a dad and I want you to know your daughter, your son, they're looking to you. And for some of you, you can never do wrong. You're a superstar, you're faithful, you do all these things and they're so amazed by that. And you know what they do, they're not with you and you know what you used to do? You're like, my dad can do this and my dad can do that and they're telling these outlandish stories, right? And you're like, hey, be careful, I can't do all the things you're saying I could do. 
But I think that that's how we approach God. You know what happens from the time we're a young kid? He never stops surprising us. Our father never stops amazing us. There's like, we think it's impossible and he does it. And then we think that's him, but he does it again. And until we end our life, we're just amazed because it doesn't matter how old we are, we're his children. And he never stops showing up and he's never not been faithful. He's always faithful. He always, always faithful. It's like we're amazed. And you know what I, what I think we need to do? We need to get back like we were kids. And it's like, you know who my dad is? You know who he is? Do you know what he can do? You know how big he is? How mighty he is? How powerful he is? When you're going through situations and people are you know, like, like, you don't get it. I'm not just here because my pastor told me to tell you. Know, you don't get it. Like, my God is a God who answers prayer. He heals the sick. Like, you don't get it. Like, this is who he is. You know what you're doing as you're doing that? You're not just winning. You're honoring his name. People talk, God is dead, this and that. Like, it's like, that's dishonor. It's like, no, 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 you're talking about my dad. No, no. No, your name's honored, God. High and lifted up. You know, we try, to, we try to make so many of these things like, hey, God's being removed from this and God's being removed for that. God, you know, we, we, our, our chief concern and the heart behind so much is this. We want to see God's name honored in this land. We want to see God's name lifted up. We don't want to see God's name torn down because we've tasted and seen the goodness of God. And so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I want to tell you something today. The greatest place for God's name to be honored is not in a courthouse, is not in a classroom, is not in the highest levels even of this government. The number one place that God's name needs to be honored is in your heart and in your life. Because that will have more power than all those other things. That, that's the place. Do you know why? Because we now bear his name. He's our son. Or he's our father, we're his children, I'm his son. I bear that name. Same way if you've adopted a child and they're now part of your family, they bear the name. And we say, Lord, may your name be honored in my life. When people look at me, would they, would they see the way that I'm honoring you in the way that I'm living my life, not compromising anymore? Somebody draw a line in the sand today. Draw a line, say, Lord, I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna honor you because, Lord, you're my father, I'm your child. I'm gonna begin to live differently I'm not going to look for acceptance or any of those things anywhere else. But my Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is honored in my heart, in my life, and in everywhere that you give me the opportunity to be an influencer. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me today? Is your first concern that God's name would be honored? That this loving Heavenly Father, yes, He's loving, yes. He's so near, yes, he's those things. But guess what? His name is the name that is above every name. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He is worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And so here we are taking a look at our lives and does your life honor your heavenly father? Today, my prayer for you is this in 2016, that every person within the sound of my voice that you're going to take a step deeper. You're going to take a step further in your faith, a step closer to walking with Jesus. And for some of you, you need to take that first step, and today needs to be the day. And the first step is this. You need to know God as your heavenly Father. You need to be introduced to Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And today, it doesn't matter where, where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've walked through. There is nothing that can separate you from the Father's love today if you'll turn to him. You have a choice. Continue to wallow in the things of this world that will crush and kill you eventually or walk and feel the loving embrace of your Heavenly Father. 
It doesn't matter if you've been following and have run away or if today's the first day that you're making a decision to follow Jesus. Won't you come to your heavenly father this morning? So if you can hear the sound of my voice right now, right where you're at, I want you just to take a bold step right where you're sitting. I'm going to count to three, and if today's the day that you're saying, I'm coming home, or today's the day I'm beginning that new relationship with God, I want you to stand up. I want you to take a bold step. Because the Father says, hey, don't be ashamed. Don't be worried. And as you do that, we will celebrate the step that you're taking. We're going to celebrate because you're a part of God's family as you make a decision to follow Jesus. So you ready? I wanted to give you a warning so you can prepare yourself for, I believe, the greatest step you're going to take. One, two, three. If that's you right now, I want you standing up right where you're sitting. Stand up. Come on. Come on, church. Is there anyone else? Stand up. That's you. Right where you're at. If you're watching it online, I want you right where you're at. Stand in the presence of God right now. If there's anyone else, don't let fear get in the way of this right now. Allow God to bring you to a new place, a place of freedom, a place where he could be Lord, where he could be your heavenly father, where you could experience his love. Pray with me right now. Say this from the bottom of your heart. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk with you and to know your love a love that I cannot earn, but I receive by faith. I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for being my heavenly father. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's the rest of us stand together right now. And let's celebrate what God's doing. Listen, if you're around someone that stood today, please encourage them as they're ready. And if you did stand, come and talk to us before the end of this service. Here's what we're gonna do in this moment right now. We're actually going to do something different. I'm glad no one has left yet. And I'm sorry, I know that's a little bit later. The Jets won't play for another 20 or 30 minutes, so don't worry. But what we're going to do is we're just going to open up this year by coming to this altar. And we're going to just kneel in God's presence. And we're going to get completely silent in this entire platform. Everyone here, we're all just going to leave. And what we're doing is I'm vacating the pulpit. We're, we're vacating instruments, everything we are. We're stepping down and saying, Lord, you're put high. We're honoring your name. We're lifting you up because this isn't my church. This isn't our church. It's his church. It's his bride. And I just want to begin this year, as we have many years, just putting Jesus on the throne, putting Jesus at the center. And as I, we do that, and as you can come to this altar and do that, and as you, if you're in the balcony or in your seat, you can turn right around and just kneel right where you're at. As we do that, and as you do that, would you even put Jesus first in your life? Say, Lord, I step down off the throne of my heart and life. And Lord, I trust you. And I trust my heavenly Father, so good, so loving, so near. So let's do that right now. Let's all come down right where you're at. You can come to these altars and kneel here if you'd like, or kneel right where you're sitting. But let's turn around and let's just be silent before the Lord for these few moments. And then we'll close ourselves in prayer.
our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, we honor your name as holy in this house today. Lord, we honor you and we lift you up at the beginning of this new year. Lord, there's nowhere else that we want to be and there's nowhere that we want to go that we're not walking with you. So Jesus, lead this church, we pray. Lead us, Lord God. Lead every heart that will call this house home, Lord God. And we pray. We pray to experience your abundant grace, your mercy, your love, and respond to it with everything that we are. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We thank you for making it possible for us to be the children of God, to have the spirit of adoption where fear can be gone and where we can be filled with joy and love, knowing that we trust in a God who hears us, a Father who loves us, and who accepts us as we are, not as we should be. So let our lives be a response to that. Let our lives, Lord God, be that living sacrifice, pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I would encourage you, these last moments, we're going to go just back into worshiping. And right where you're at, you can continue to pray there. You continue to pray in your seats. God bless you. We're going to have prayer workers present here at the front of each aisle to pray over you. If God's been speaking to you, we want you just to continue to press into what he has for you. God bless you. Happy New Year. And let's continue to learn what it means to pray and to seek God in this way.